The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding. I'm so lucky that today I have with me Dr. Jill Rapley. Jill, welcome to the show. Hi, Mary. I'm delighted to be with you. Jill Rapley is the author of at least two books that I'm aware of, one being Maternal and Infant Nutrition and Nurture, Controversies and Challenges, and her other book, baby-led weaning. And today, we're going to really take a deep dive here into baby-led weaning. I think that all of you will be very enlightened by what Jill has to say about the baby-led weaning, because I have to tell you that I was a little surprised by a thing or two that I was able to get from Jill's writings. So, Jill, first of all, you have said that baby-led weaning is not, repeat, not about breastfeeding. So then, I think we need to know what is your definition of baby-led weaning, and also, why does that definition matter? Okay, well, it's it's not about stopping breastfeeding, but it is about that gradual changeover from the breast or formula to solid foods, family meals. And that's a very gradual process. In the UK, we use the word weaning to mean the start of that process, which is the introduction of the very first solid foods. And I know that in many other countries, including the United States, the word weaning tends to mean the end of breastfeeding. But actually, both of those things are weaning and everything in between. It's a very slow process that begins with the first mouthful of anything that isn't breast milk or formula, and it ends with the very last feed of breast milk or formula. And that can take many months, possibly even years. And there have been lots of uh, books and discussions about how, how breastfeeding should end and whether the child should lead the way or the parent should decide. But nobody's really applied that thinking to the beginning of weaning, to how that very first mouthful happens and who makes that decision. And generally, mm. it's the parents that make the decision, maybe advised by their pediatrician uh, or their family or whoever, but the baby doesn't generally get a say. And baby-led weaning is a focus on how that weaning process starts and letting the baby decide the moment it should begin. That's very insightful, Jill, because I suspect that anyone who reads what you have to say will 
understand that part of your message is about the baby being in control of his own diet rather than us controlling his diet. We can go into that a little bit more later, but is the, am I understanding you correctly? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. about him being in control of his diet and maybe even his destiny in, in, in terms of, of yes. what he chooses to eat and, and when he chooses to eat it and so on. I'd just like to point out to our listeners that since 1991, uh, Judy Hopkinson's study showed then about breastfeeding infants. And here she was talking about young infants, little babies. She was saying how they self-regulate their intake. And so it seems to me that what you are suggesting about baby-led weaning is along the same lines, except that now you are applying that to the soft, semi-soft, or solid foods that one would experience when one's an older infant. So let me ask you this then. What about if I'm a parent and I've already started what I would roughly call conventional weaning, is it ever too late to switch to baby-led weaning? Uh, I would say it's never too late to switch. Um, but it's, it, uh, it's a difficult one. In the same way that when we define exclusive breastfeeding, we would say that any baby who's ever had anything else other than breast milk has not been exclusively breastfed from birth. But that right. doesn't mean a mom can't switch to, to breastfeeding exclusively and drop the formula feeds. It's a bit like that with baby-led weaning. I think the definitions are important because when it comes to research, we need to know exactly what we're talking about. So a yes. baby who was started on conventional weaning, uh, we can never say that baby followed a baby-led path from the beginning. But sure, we can switch to a, an approach which trusts the baby and lets the baby make decisions, uh, in which case we just stop the pureed food and switch to the baby helping himself uh, and being in control. Jill, I would be very interested to know why do you think that some parents uh, do not want to do baby lead weaning? I think some of them are frightened. Uh, they don't mm-hmm. know quite mm-hmm. what it is. It seems a bit wacky. Uh, people think of it as a new fad. Uh, in fact, of course, that isn't the case. It's as old as the hills. Uh, it's probably the way weaning was always done before we ever had blenders <laughs> and so on. Um, yeah. So they're a bit little nervous. Uh, often there are health advisors have not heard of it, so they're not able oh. to discuss it with them. Um, they have uh, particular worries like that the baby is going to choke or that he won't get enough to eat. I mean, we can talk about each of these things separately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For some parents, it's just the idea that it's going to be messy, which it is at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so quite a few things which might make them hesitate. But what is interesting is that I haven't yet met anybody who's tried it who wouldn't do it again, at least Ooh. partially, if not wholeheartedly. Mm. Whereas there are pl- plenty of parents who've done the spoon-feeding thing who really don't want to go down that road again. So, Jill, on the flip side then, what do you think actually helps parents to realize that they want to do baby lead weaning? I think it's the connection that you mentioned with breastfeeding, the recognition Mm. that babies, even on the very day they're born, know how much they need to eat and when they need to eat. And it seems so strange that they would suddenly stop being able to do that, only to pick it up again (laughs) later in the toddler years. That doesn't seem right. Why would nature make the most vulnerable baby 
able to feed himself and then he loses that when he becomes less vulnerable, crazy. So it's that connection with it, it has to be right uh, and the fact that it just makes sense. Um, and then anybody who's actually seen it in practice is usually completely won over to watch a child pick up food and examine it and be so intrigued by it and so absorbed in the moment. It's amazing mm-hmm. to watch. Now, as you're speaking, I'm thinking that we had Michelle Silverman on the show uh, probably a year ago, and her specialty is working with toddlers who are what she calls picky eaters. Mm -hmm. And so, as I'm hearing you talking now, I'm wondering, is it possible, and I know you don't have the answer to this, but I'm just wondering if there is some correlation between the picky eaters and those that have maybe not had the freedom to pick out their own food from the beginning. I think there's a real connection, absolutely. Okay. I I hear time and time again from parents that their baby who did baby-led weaning is much less picky than their other child. Um, Some babies and toddlers seem to go through a picky phase anyway, but what makes picky eating worse is when pressure is put on the child to eat. Yes. It often yes. starts with, with uh, food refusal. And I always say there's no such thing as, well, food refusal is not mealtime battles, let's say. Don't start with right. the baby refusing to eat, but with a parent insisting that they should. Yes. And so if we don't insist and we let babies choose, then the whole emotional baggage that comes with eating is, is not there. Um, and I think that gives babies a much more level playing field to start with. I think that's hugely interesting because I'm not sure if you have heard of Michelle. She is a registered dietitian here in the U.S. She works with these toddlers and their families, and she said almost exactly what you just got through saying, which is don't make mealtime a fight. Don't make the baby do something he doesn't want to do. And so I guess I'm just hearing this message from two different people, two different countries, two different backgrounds, talking about two different ages of children. Children, but the <laughs> sort of the principle here is the same, which is let the baby have a little bit more, have a lot more control over what he's doing or not doing. So, yeah. Jill. What I realized uh, really early was that all the books that I have read about uh, picky eating and food refusal, uh, it seems to be that the number one golden rule is give the control back to the child. So my question uh-huh. is, why take it away in the first place? In the first place. Yeah, oh, that just makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. I can just imagine, though, that there's some parent out there who says, well, I know that the World Health Organization says six months. They used to say four to six months. The American Academy of Pediatrics says six months. But actually, how will I know when my baby is ready to start solids? I bet you have a thought on that. I do. I think it's the same way that you know when they're ready to start walking. They do it. It's as simple as that. The difficulty is that we don't give them the opportunity. Now, when you bring your new baby home from the hospital and you put him on the rug to have a little kick, you're actually giving him the opportunity to walk. The fact that he doesn't is because his development is, is, won't allow him to do that. But straightway it can, uh, straightway he can, then he will get up and walk. And if we would give babies the opportunity to to handle food, they would show us when they were ready just by doing it. So while on the one hand, I am very much in 
favour of the idea of waiting till six months. On the other hand, I recognise that just like with walking and all the other skills, that's an average. Um, And I've actually seen younger babies picking up food and taking it to their mouth. What's interesting, though, is that they don't, uh, they very rarely swallow anything much before six months. And similarly, some babies aren't ready until a bit later. If we would just let the baby show us, then the baby would pick the right time for him or herself, which might be a few weeks different from the baby next door. Um, so mm. our obsession with choosing an age uh, is because that's the way we do things. But if we would just relax and let babies show us, guess what? It would be round about six months for all babies. <laughs> yes. Jill, as I, as I hear you talking, I'm thinking about the parents who have said to me from time to time, but the baby's six months old and she's not taking it. She's not ta- She doesn't want it. And I'm saying, listen to the baby. Oh, I know, but my pediatrician said six months. And I'm saying... Yeah, well, that's about six months. And also the World Health Organization says offer. They don't say force it. And sometimes it's just a matter of a couple of weeks. Sometimes it's a little longer. Quite honestly, sometimes it is a little sooner. But I think that your message is excellent in that you are saying we really need to watch the baby. And I loved your analogy with when you put the baby on the floor, she doesn't walk because she's not able. And so similarly, when you put the food in front of her, if she's not eating, well, maybe it's because she's not able or ready. Hey, everyone, do not go away. This is a very exciting discussion that I am having with author Dr. Jill Rapley. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with author Dr. Jill Rapley. Jill, before we went to break, we were talking about the the difference between making the baby eat and offering food. I suspect that you have more thoughts on offering food. Would you like to talk about that? Yeah, I think that's absolutely the key to baby-led weaning. It's about trust. Uh, and when we put food in front of a baby, if they don't pick it up, it's their way of saying, no, thanks, I'm fine. We need to remember that at six months or thereabouts, the baby is still able to get all their nourishment from their milk feeds. They're just beginning to need a few extra of some nutrients on top of that. But we're not talking quantities. We're not trying to replace the milk. That was the old way. But now we're recognizing they just need a very few things on top of that. Mostly it's just some, maybe some iron-rich foods. Uh, so we need to start right in there with meat, for example. We can come back to that later. But the point is that if we offer it, the baby can take it if he or she needs it. They don't need quantity. And if we do start pushing food into them, not only might we put them off the idea, but also for a breastfed baby, they will automatically cut down the amount of breast milk yes. they take because they mm-hmm. self-regulate, as you said. So mm-hmm. we're going to end up with uh, you know, a partial food replacing what is pretty much a complete food, and that's a nonsense. Jill, I want to make sure that our listeners really understand this because I just went through this with a mother, I, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago here, where somehow I keyed into the idea that she was giving the baby food, meaning table food, and oh, by the way, some breastfeeding here and there. And I said, no, I I was a little nicer than that. But basically, I said, no, you got this upside down here. So I want to make sure that parents understand what Jill has just said here, that really, it is the mother's milk, which should be the primary nutrient. And Jill just said, Jill, how did you word that? You said it was a complete food. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. it, well, it's almost complete at that age. They just have a few things that they, they need to top it up with. Um, but once we start putting, giving them more than they need, then they'll cut down the breast milk. Absolutely. So that leads perfectly into what I was going to ask next, which is parents are so worried that they've got to make sure that their baby gets everything nutritional and that they get this and not that and so forth and so on. So by your logic, then, the parents should not have to worry about what the babies eat uh, when they put the food out because the mother's milk itself is all that the baby needs and, oh, by the way, a little bit more. Is that true? 
That's pretty much true, yes. But, of course, yeah. we're going to go forward with this. It's not just at six months. And I think Ellen Satter's um, division of responsibility is brilliant, where it's the parent's mm. responsibility to present the food, to decide what is put on the table, um, and, and sure, they have a responsibility to choose healthy foods, not junk food, not too much sugar, mm. salt, those sort of considerations, just as they would if they were going to puree their own baby food. Um, but then it's the baby or the toddler's decision what they eat, how much they eat, how fast they eat. Uh, the, the, that division is really important. I think it's very important. I go a little bit nutty when I'm you know, at a park or somewhere and I see parents giving kids these high sugar things. Uh, I just don't think kids should have that when they're that young, certainly. Uh, mm. Certainly, I definitely want to talk about this thing with meat. And I will clue everybody in. I think it was around 2006, if my memory serves me correctly, that the World Health Organization, uh, well, actually, they were a little slower coming on board, I think, saying that uh, infants need to have meat, partly because the protein in meat is more similar to what it would be in the mother's milk. And also that we talk about the baby needing some iron. Well, hello, the the iron in the meat would be a whole lot better than having the iron in an iron-fortified cereal, for example. Now, I am not a dietitian, but I do believe that the dietitians would back me up on what I just paraphrased here. However, uh, you are saying that you would offer the baby a large piece of meat. And as soon as I saw that, I thought to myself, oh, whoa, I can just hear everybody saying, aren't you worried the baby's going to choke? Okay, choking is probably the biggest worry with baby led weaning. The first thing uh-huh. I really want to point out, though, is that we have always said introduce finger foods, foods the baby can hold from about yes. six months onwards. That's not new. The only different thing with baby led weaning is that you haven't had all that purees beforehand. Our thinking was that purees would uh, were a way of helping a baby learn to chew and that they would progress gradually to chewable foods. But actually, that's just an assumption. We don't have clear evidence that that was the case. We've seen babies progress through pureed foods, but we haven't compared it with babies who haven't had any of that. And actually, Mm. what was interesting in my own piece of research was that I saw babies really struggling with purees if they'd reached six months without having any. So the idea that purees are easy to eat, uh, I'm not sure is Right. When it comes to meat particularly, yeah, a nice big chunk of meat, um, but I'm talking big, not a, not a kind of gobstopping piece, but a piece that they can grip in their hand and suck the end of. And by the way, even though they don't have teeth and they won't really be able to chew the meat, sucking out all that juice, which is really where a lot oh. of iron is stored, is going to yeah. do wonders for them. Never thought of that. That's true. Mm-hmm. So then, Jill, how big would the piece of meat be? Well, if you think of the size of a baby's fist, um, what we need to be aware of is that babies um, uh, from at about six months and, and a little bit longer until they're about eight, nine months can't easily get at food that's inside their fist. They can't open right. their hand purposely. So they could grip quite a small piece, but it would just be lost to them because it would be hidden. So we need a big chunk that's a kind of a long strip that's going to stick out of their fist a good inch Mm. or so beyond their fist and they're going to hang on to the other end Um, and 
if it does make them uh, cough a bit or gag, the first thing they do is pull it right out. Whereas yes. if you give a baby a spoonful of food, he's kind of stuck with that and he can't shift it. That makes a lot of sense because you're right. He is kind of stuck with it. Whereas if he has it in his fist, he would, I would think, almost reflective, reflexively take it back out again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's what Joe, I see all the time. Along the lines of the, the business with the meat, I'm going to jump to the conclusion here that the family would have had the meat on the table and they would be eating it themselves. So how do babies react to things that are highly flavored meats? I'm thinking of marinades. I don't know if you do that uh, where you are, but we frequently will marinate meat into, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How, do they, how do they do with that? I would think that would be like too much for the baby or No. No, babies, it's kind of a myth that babies need bland food. They love flavors. Sure, the first time that they taste it, they may make a funny face, but they often do that anyway with new foods. But they'll have another go right back. We hear a lot of research which says that it takes babies a long time to get used to new flavors and you have to keep offering That may be true, but actually when we're allowing the baby to set the pace, they can learn to like something within the space of one meal because they're allowed to stop Mm -hmm. and start and and they'll pull Uh. something out and have a look at it and look puzzled and then put it back again. (laughs) They're learning to connect the taste with what they see and feel. But sure, they love uh, spicy flavors. And of course, uh, because we don't want to give them foods that are high in salt, using herbs and spices is a great way to give the food flavor without it needing to be salty. Now, spoiler alert here, we are trying very hard to ask Dr. Julie Manella to come on this radio show because, of course, as you know, she has done all of, I assume, almost all of her research around Mm. uh, the the flavors and the aromas and so forth of food and other substances. So I think that she would probably back up what you're saying. And I also wonder, I would wonder if the The formula-fed baby, formula, frankly, doesn't taste like much. It tastes very bland. So I'm wondering if breastfed babies would be more likely to have these highly seasoned foods and recognize those flavors, because it's probably what the mother has been eating through pregnancy and breastfeeding anyway. So it would seem to me like that would be recognizable. Does that seem to make sense to you as well? Yeah, indeed. I think, yeah, breastfed babies are definitely kind of pre-programmed to expect different flavors. I heard a lovely story of a of a little five-year-old who was still breastfeeding, and uh, he pulled away from the breast and said to his mom, hey, you had pineapple, you didn't tell me. <laughs> so clearly, we have the evidence from the children themselves that they sure do have different flavors in their breast milk, and we know that things like garlic get through. So yes. sure, uh, a baby who's been fed only formula, and uh, which you know, has just one flavor, flavor is, is maybe going to find um, the world of solid foods a little strange, a little unusual. But again, given control, I think uh, that's the important thing. Then they can work their way into it in their own time. To suddenly have a mouthful of something completely new and different shoved in your mouth, that would be scary and very unpleasant. Um, so to be allowed to pick it up and lick it and smell it and taste it before deciding whether to have a bite, that's got to be so important for formula-fed babies as well. 
Wow, this is very, very fascinating. Uh, Everybody, do not go away, because on the other side of the break, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Jill Rapley about much more as related to the when, where, how, and so forth. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Dr. Jill Rapley, who is author of the book, Baby Led Weaning. And for those of you who are wondering, I will have that book available on my website. And I would strongly encourage you to be open to the idea of baby led weaning for all of the reasons that Dr. Rapley has really helped us to understand in a big way. Now, before we went to break, I had just mentioned the whole idea of how formula-fed babies are really used to those bland flavors, and breastfed babies are 
exactly the opposite. Jill just gave a wonderful example of a kid who actually asked his mother about eating the pineapple. That was a great story, Jill. Uh, so, Jill, do you have a little more to, to tell us about these parents and the formula feeding versus the breastfeeding? Yeah, I'm often asked, can formula-fed babies do this? Uh, my research has revolved around breastfeeding babies because I see this link with self-regulation that goes along with breastfeeding. But, uh, you know, I've also seen many, many, many formula-fed babies take really well to baby-led weaning. But if there is a difference between the two, it, I think it's in the mindset of the parents because yeah. parents who've uh, gotten on with breastfeeding and are breastfeeding exclusively at six months, they somewhere along the way they learn to trust their baby or they set I out just trusting their that. baby. Yeah. Um, and they've, they've had to just let the baby decide when to feed, how long to feed, how much to take. Most of the times they don't even know how much the baby's had and that's fine. With uh, formula feeding, it's a little different. You have to decide how much uh, milk to make up and how and just generally manage the whole process. So the idea of trusting the baby is perhaps a little bit more difficult. Um, that's absolutely not to say that, that parents can't do it, but I think that's why some parents who've been used to formula feeding find it a little difficult to get started with baby-led weaning. They just mm-hmm. aren't quite ready to let go and, and trust the baby in the same way. I think this whole trust the baby thing starts real early in the game and what I'm I'm in my mind I'm leaping ahead to the teenage years here. <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. that oh, trust wow. begins early 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 on and when you are picking out what the baby is eating and telling him when to eat and how to eat and so forth it seems like that trust starts to deteriorate. Uh, over mm-hmm. simple things, and I can really see how it could get way out of proportion. Jill, mm-hmm. I meant to ask you in the first segment, and then I was so fascinated with what you were saying that I got a little off my own path here. Some people think that baby-led weaning is about not using a spoon. Now, I'm thinking mm-hmm. it probably is about no spoons, but I'm thinking it's bigger than that. Can you clarify this idea for us, please? Um, okay, yeah, you're right. This is a common kind of misconception. Um, there's no ban on spoons, but the spoon should be in the baby's hand. It's as simple as that. Um, sometimes if parents are worried about mess, they will want to offer their baby a preloaded spoon. Um, he can still make a fair bit of mess with that, of course. But, uh, you know, sometimes they will offer it and let the baby guide the, there, the parent's hand, and that's, that's sort of okay. But ideally, we would just wait until the baby can manage a spoon. We have an obsession with spoons because we have an obsession with pureed foods. Um, actually, they go together so well. If you're going to choose to give a baby puree, then a spoon is the best implement. And if you're going to choose to spoon feed a baby, then a puree is the best consistency for the food to be. But yeah. if we can get away from both of those things, and see that babies had well fingers before forks, um, then maybe we can let the spoon feeding go. It's, it's an issue of control. A lot of folks want to use a top up what the baby's fed himself just to make sure that he's had something. And this is about understanding that maybe he didn't need anything else. So by spoon feeding, we're taking away that control and we might be encouraging a baby to overeat. Um, you know, babies will often eat to please their parent when yes. actually they didn't need that food. That really makes a lot of sense to me. Okay, so how about if the baby doesn't have any teeth 
And you're mm-hmm. suggesting that we give him meat or we give him other things. I can just hear some parents saying, but if he doesn't have any teeth, how is this? How does this work, Jill? How wh- Or why does it work? Well, um, first, it's it's a good idea not to give babies things that will snap easily, like um, a, a very firm apple or a raw carrot. We're going to give soft foods that have been cooked so that they're sort of squishable, but not too squishable, so oh, that sure. he can actually grasp them. Um, but actually, we don't need teeth to chew. I think the whole teeth thing is a really interesting um, idea uh, that, that people get. When babies get teeth, the first four teeth are incisors. And the ones after that, they're for biting. They're not for chewing. Babies don't get chewing teeth usually till after they're a year old and quite often not a lot till a lot later. And they can chew perfectly well with their gums. Um, And any mom who's had a nip on her uh, nipple while she's breastfeeding knows perfectly well that a child can can give a nice uh, hard bite without any teeth. So, uh, you know, teeth are just uh, just not necessary. In fact, if anything, when babies first get do, t- do get their teeth, it uh, disturbs them slightly because they end up biting their tongue or biting their fingers, and they have to learn to deal with that. But they're perfectly able to chew without any teeth at all. Well, I'm just thinking that when I was a young nurse, I think I did more than my share of feeding old people who were unable mm-hmm. to feed themselves. And honestly... Some of them did not have teeth, and they still managed to gum their food. Mm. And I'm thinking, so wouldn't it work kind of the same for a baby? Exactly. Exactly. It's exactly the same. Uh, Jill, also as you're talking, I'm very fascinated with this idea. I think that most of us recognize that as a young baby, part of your job being a baby is to be curious to explore, to discover, and if so, does that sort of fit with your idea of putting the foods out and then letting the baby select what he wants to get into? You know, Marie, you must be a mind reader. That was something I was just glancing at my little crib list here and thinking, I'm hoping that I can have a chance to say something about that because, oh, absolutely. On two levels. One is that we, uh, in survival terms, it makes no sense to allow something to go in your mouth that you haven't examined first. That would just be dangerous. No animal would do that. Um, So you have to look at your food first and assess whether you think good for you, whether it's edible, you need to watch other people eating foods that look the same so that you can assess whether it's okay for my species to eat this stuff. Um, But also, there's that whole thing about messy play, which is so popular in daycares and so on nowadays, certainly here in the UK, all the babies have to have messy play. And guess what? For the very young babies, they'll often give them food to play with just in case they would eat it because you wouldn't want them Mm. eating clay or paint. So it's like we're having to reinvent this thing backwards. If we would just let them do that sort of play at the table, then that would be their messy play taken care of. No problem. (laughs) And they learn, you know, the foods have no, uh, they have um, textures and uh, shapes that they don't get in any of their other toys. It's amazing. That's true. Well, I'm also thinking that if you watch a little puppy or you watch a little kitty, they do tend to really examine that food before they get into it. Mm Mm-hmm. That makes so much sense. Mm Mm-hmm. So then, Jill, what would you do with a baby who 
is struggling to get food in his mouth. You know, the parent has put something out. Don't you think there are kids that do struggle? And if so, what should the parent recognize and what should the parent do? Well, the first thing to say is that, of course, there will be babies who do need a bit of extra help, babies with disabilities, um, maybe maybe babies who are born very prematurely. They may need some extra help with eating in the same way that they do with so many other aspects of their lives. We're not just going to put the food in front of them and say, hey, get on with it, kid. But right. if a, a normally developing child of around six months doesn't seem able to pick up the food and get it to his mouth, then it's probably that he isn't ready to do it yet. You know, it's the best clue we have as to how ready his whole system is, is to watch what he can and can't do. I don't think nature would make it that a child could get his food to his mouth uh, if he wasn't able to chew it safely, and it wouldn't enable him to chew it safely before he could digest it. So actually these skills happen in a kind of preset sequence that seems to be uh, a safety mechanism. Jill, I'm thinking as you're talking that, first of all, all humans and probably other mammals as well uh, develop as an organism. So we're not talking about just what's going on with the baby's mouth or what's going on with the baby's teeth. We're really talking about the oral cavity as well as his hands and his fingers and his digestion and his ability to sit up and the fact that he's lost his um, uh tongue extrusion, reflex, all of those things. Is it fair to say that all of these things kind of go together? Yeah, absolutely. So we wouldn't be expecting to let a baby be handling food if he couldn't sit upright. Some babies maybe need just to have their hips kind of steadied with a a rolled-up towel or parent's hand just to help them balance better. But essentially, they should be able to hold their head and trunk erect so that they can use both hands and and eat safely. Um, You were talking about the risk of choking. That's going to be much greater if we've got a child lying back to eat. Uh, Interestingly, another thing that increases the risk of choking is distracting a child while he's eating. And yet, what do we do? We play games like airplanes. I mean, don't even start. On um, so, yeah, child's got well, everything will be ready at around the same time. And what we don't need to do is think that we're helping them by trying to overcome something that is a, really a message that, no, we need to hold back. This child isn't ready. I'm stunned by this because I'm thinking that it means that we not only have to trust ourselves, we have to trust our children and to really believe that the human organism is designed to eat, is designed to do all of these other things that we do in a day. And uh, that's really pretty fascinating. So Mm -hmm. on the other side of the break, when we come back, I would like you to help parents to understand uh, a little bit about how to actually make those first few feedings successful. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I am here today with author Jill Rapley. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. 
what's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with author Jill Rapley. And before we went to break, Jill was telling us about how the human organism is really designed to protect itself and to know when to eat, where to eat, how to eat, all of those kinds of things. So I'm going to turn it over to Jill now to say, Jill, if I'm a brand new parent, I'm a little uneasy. I've never really done this before. I'm not even sure that I'm altogether sold on this idea that baby led weaning is such a great thing, but I'm willing to try it. Can you help us to understand what will that first feeding look like from the parent's perspective or for the, from the baby's perspective? Okay, so I would say that First of all, from the baby's perspective, it's no different to any other form of play, to investigating mom's cell phone or dad's car keys or whatever. <laughs> um, he's just going to treat these as interesting objects, these pieces of food. Um, so we're not thinking eating. So the first thing is that the baby shouldn't be hungry when he is offered this first opportunity to uh, eat. And he shouldn't be okay. tired and grumpy because but you wouldn't give him a new toy in those circumstances. So he needs to be alert, maybe recently have had a milk feed, and just be up for a new experience. And then you would just sit him up to the table with you as long as the food is is healthy and, as we've said, uh, you know, not junk food. Um, Mostly, probably to start with, things without sauces so that they're a little easier to grip. Just some Uh basic sort of meat and two vegetables type of meal. Um, Sit the baby maybe in a high chair, but maybe for the first few times on your lap uh, in front of your plate and make sure the food's not too hot. Cut mm-hmm. it into pieces that will stick out of his fist that, or pieces that have a built-in handle like a piece of broccoli or, you know, asparagus, green beans. Those are great ones to start with. Um, or, as we said, strips of meat. And just see what he will do. We don't have to follow those rules about start with one meal a day and start with one food and watch for a reaction. All of that stuff belongs with when we were introducing solid foods at four months old, which really is when a baby's system is not ready for this. So we had to be careful. 
But actually, again, if we keep in our head that this is a playtime, a learning time from the baby's point of view, then we can see that you wouldn't want to overwhelm your baby with lots of new toys, but you might want to offer him one or two to choose from. Um, nice and colorful, uh, easy to grab, and, and then just sit back and see what he does. And, and don't worry if nothing actually gets eaten for, uh, for a few weeks, because this isn't about eating for him. It's about an opportunity to learn about something new and he will discover that it's edible in due course. Are there, uh, uh, would you say the baby might put it in his mouth but not actually swallow it? Absolutely. He may well just okay. sniff it or lick it. He may taste it. He may bite a piece off. He may chew it, and, but it has every likelihood it'll fall out, certainly if he's only just about six months. Um, some babies get going right off the bat, but some do take maybe two or three months to really get going. And that probably means that they really don't need those extra nutrients just yet. So we just need to relax and, and enjoy the moment and be thrilled by how our baby is, is learning about the world. He, he's learning, uh, you know, okay, I said it's going to be messy, so we need to prepare the floor, maybe a plastic sheet underneath. Uh, don't put the baby's best clothes on, you know. If, if it's warm, <laughs> he, can, he can even eat in just a diaper. Um, let him experiment. Don't worry about the mess. Think about what he's learning. You know, he doesn't know when you drop something, it falls. Or he may have learned that with a toy, but he doesn't know the same thing happens to a piece of broccoli. So he's going to want to try it. And that's great. Um, he'll, he'll get over that when he's discovered that actually it's more, it's more fun to just eat the stuff. So this isn't <laughs> going to go on forever. But it's about him coming to, uh, uh, coming to it from, from where he's at. What would you tell the parent who says, no, 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 I put that out for him before and he tried it and he threw it down, he didn't like it? What would you say to that parent? I would say that throwing down food doesn't necessarily mean the baby doesn't like it. Um, I would also say, though, of course, the babies often don't appear to like something the first time around and we offer it again and then they do like it. Um, it's uh, Because they're not needing to eat it, because their nourishment is coming from the milk feeds, they are free to taste a bit of everything and decide not to eat it. Um, baby led weaning babies are so aware of what they actually need that they don't eat just for the sake of it. And where you or I might eat something just because it's there, they don't feel the need to do that. But it doesn't mean they don't like it or won't learn to like it. Totally, totally agree. Uh, Jill, before we go today, I, I know that you have authored several things. Could you tell us about uh, what your books are and uh, what your involvement has been there? Mm-hmm. Well, the first time anything about baby-led weaning uh, appeared in print was when I was asked to write a chapter for Maternal and Infant Nutrition and Nurture, uh, Controversies and Challenges, or it might be Challenges okay. and Controversies, I never can remember. Um, but then uh, kind of my seminal work, if you like, is uh, the book that I co-authored with Tracy Merkitt, which is Baby-Led Weaning, The Essential Guide to Introducing Solid Foods. And since then, we've done a baby-led breastfeeding. We've uh, done a baby-led weaning cookbook. We have baby-led parenting, which at the moment is uh, uh, not hasn't gone beyond the UK uh, or hasn't made it to the States yet anyway. But we've shortly got another recipe book coming out. Uh, there's a whole lot of interest worldwide about baby-led weaning. But what's interesting to me is that it isn't because of the books. We wrote our books, mm. certainly that first one, in order to document clearly what baby-led weaning is because it was already all over the internet and people were talking about it and sometimes what I saw and what I heard didn't sound right or maybe didn't sound safe. 
So we wrote that book to be to document what it actually is and how to go about it. Um, but actually, Baby Did Weaning has a life of its own. It's spreading just by word of mouth. I certainly don't need to do much to promote it at all because it just makes sense to people and they tell somebody else. Yes. So it's brilliant. Um, How excellent. We have been so, so fortunate today to uh, be hearing from Dr. Jill Rapley. But as you know, this hour always goes way, way too fast. So that's all the time we have. But before we sign off, I'd like to thank my guest today, Dr. Jill Rapley. Jill, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you, Marie. It's been such an honor and and a privilege to be able to share some of this with you. I would like to thank all of our listeners to Born for Born to Be Breastfed. Uh, we would not have a show without all of you, and I'd like to invite all of you to come back next week. Now, if you're interested in Dr. Rapley's book or other books that we've mentioned on the show, we do have them on our website. That is borntobebreastfed.com. I'll repeat that. It's borntobebreastfed.com, where we have an Amazon affiliate link. You can pick up her books or others that we've mentioned. We also have a Facebook page. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to leave a question for us there, or you may uh, send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, if you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. My courses and tons of resources and my blog and much more are all at my professional site. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. Again, professionals, breastfeedingoutlook.com, parents, Born to be breastfed.com. Of course, I'm happy to see you in either location. But in any event, I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I promise I will help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.